with Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here, and joining us online, it's our Congresswoman, Becca Ballin. Good morning, Becca. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. Great Good to, to hear, hear from voice. you. Great to hear from you. Great to have you on the Morning Drive. Uh, last time you were on the Morning Drive was right during the right in the middle of the flooding. Yeah. Glad oh, we, glad what, we, a, what a time. What uh, a time it's been. <laughs> yeah, the whole summer. <laughs> it's kind of just raining. Really, yeah. And I was uh, I was just talking with Anthony before we got on about, you know, it's so important to, to put things in perspective. And I know when I am talking with folks from the towns that have been hardest hit and folks in, in Barrie and, and Montpelier, and, it, you know, it puts everything in, in really stark perspective. Yeah. And we're, we're not, you know, we're not recovered yet that's the thing i think people don't fully understand is it's going to be such a long recovery for for some of these areas and we can't lose sight of that and that's the challenge we all have when you know we have news coming at us every single day we can't lose sight of the fact that vermont is still very much trying to build back yeah yeah the central the the, there's a swath you know uh, from johnson down through uh, montpelier barry it's right down the center of the state that is when you go there like i I said on the air yesterday, I was talking to you off the air about going to Montpelier Friday, and it's just like, wow, they've come so yeah. far, but they, it's, they're, you know, and every weekend they're doing something like this weekend, now there's going to be this huge Oktoberfest in there, so it's it's all good stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely put are, it in perspective. You know, people are gritty, they're, they're you know, they're they're doing the, that's that's the thing I try to convey to my uh, my colleagues here, it's like, Vermonters are are doing so much hard work themselves trying to do this, you know, try to build back. And we had a caucus a couple weeks ago in which we were talking about the importance of the continuing resolution that we passed to fund government. And I got up and I said, look, you know, this summer, Vermont was hit by this, you know, catastrophic flooding. It was the direct result of, you know, our warming climate. Hawaii was hit, Florida, California. I said, but it's coming for every one of your districts. So when we think about, you know, fully funding FEMA, when we think about building for, for recovery, it's my district now, and I need you to not forget Vermont, you know, but it's going to be your district later. So can we please have some, some forethought about how we're approaching this going forward? And that really resonated with a lot of people. And we got to keep Vermont, Hawaii, these, these areas front and center and not just move on to the next news bit, you know. Absolutely. Um, now we do have to move on, though, to another yes, story. Exactly. <laughs> now that we said that. Um, all right, Becca, um, we know, obviously, the big story, lots of big stories. We'll get to the, yeah. we'll get to the Israeli uh, yeah. Hamas issue in a minute. But first, let's go to the speaker's race. Um, yeah. We know that uh, Kevin McCarthy was ousted uh, by the Gates 8. Uh, Matt Gates mm-hmm. moved to vacate. Now, do you, looking back on the vote, obviously every Democrat, and understandably Democrats don't usually vote for Republican speaker and and vice versa, but do you have any regrets on that vote seeing what's happened now uh, that that Kevin McCarthy didn't get voted back in as re- and we would have a speaker dealing with all the important issues right now? Do you have any regrets yeah. that, you, that a few Democrats didn't support him so that uh, we weren't left in this position that we're in now? You know, I don't because the the thing I want Vermonters to understand is McCarthy was not a trustworthy partner and he had broken every agreement 
uh, every deal that he had made with us. So it was not somebody that we felt like we could be negotiating with in, in good faith. So that is first and foremost. If he had been a different person, if he truly was someone who we felt like he approached uh, negotiations in good faith, then I think what you would have seen is uh, some uh, Democrats either walking, right, or voting present to lower the threshold. Uh, but the fact that you saw every single corner of the Democratic Party from blue dogs to progressives not vote to support him was a vote of no confidence. And well- can you, certainly yes go ahead no i just am curious because th- that's 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 what i want to know is and all these negotiations happen you know a lot of them happen behind the scenes what yes. did he promise that he backed out on because ultimately he came across the aisle to save uh, to continue funding government and that's why he's ousted so from the outside we're like well, wait a minute the yeah. Demo- you know he went I to the know. democrats that's why he got ousted but yet the democrats were like no we can't trust you so there's got to be something in the middle that i want to hear about yeah so here's here's the piece that i think has fallen off the radar screen that we have not forgotten which is when we were facing a catastrophic default back in the spring okay so all the way back in june okay uh end of may and june there was a deal for funding government that was agreed upon by all the players, House and Senate, Democrats, Republicans, and the White House, for what the spending levels were going to be for all of the appropriations bills. That was the agreement that was made. It did an end run around the budgetary process and appropriations process, but in the end, there was an agreement that was made. Here's the money that we're going to have to spend this year. And signed into law, and two weeks later, McCarthy backtracked on all of that and fell in line with his hardliners and said, no, actually, that deal that we just signed, we want a 30% cut to that. So that's what so much of this is about. That's why we haven't, fun- we haven't passed the funding bills. We still don't have bills to keep government open because of that. And that was a direct um, nod to his most extremist members of his conference who said, no, you know that thing we just signed into law? We're not going to abide by that. And so, but there, so some of but the- there is a certain irony, though, to as to what Anthony said, though, that the speaker uh, could have just stuck with the hardliners during this this latest round of uh, budget talks and and shut the government down. They were on the verge of a government shutdown on that Saturday on that weekend. And instead, he infuriated the far right in his caucus by going and signing on to a deal with the Democrats to keep the government open. Um, there's a certain irony there, though, that that uh, then um, he gets booted out and Democrats all vote against him, despite the fact that he did work a deal with the Democrats, which ticked off all those Republicans. No, I understand what you're saying. And I, I have a very different perspective because that deal to keep the government open, that continuing resolution, only passed because Democrats were willing to vote in support of it. He didn't have the votes on the floor, and yet the next day on the, the news, he basically you know, was trashing our willingness to sign the continuing resolution. So it's all, you know, I want to just cut through all of this and just say to Vermonters, if you had a partner who was constantly breaking your deals, constantly backtracking on agreements, was making sure that the most extreme members of his conference were, were mollified in the moment, but not in the long term, would you trust that person going forward? So in the end, he's also, I still like want people to remember, this was the man 
who in the days after January 6th said, it's time that we stand up to uh, President Trump. This was terrible for the country. This is terrible for democracy. And then a few weeks later was down at Mar-a-Lago kissing the ring. So all of these things have indicated to us that he's not somebody who is trustworthy to deal with. And the only thing that I, and then we can move on to the next thing, but, but, but the, the deal that, and you admitted it, which is, which I appreciate, did an end run around the normal budgetary process, but he made yeah. the deal, but he made the deal. So he should live with it because I'm, I'm, I'm more about the, I want to get back to the, the, how do you feel about this? Doesn't it make sense to have budget bills specific, have conversations about them instead of these <laughs> giant omnibus monster yes. things? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and, and one other thing, because I serve on the budget committee, okay? Yep. And so within the budget committee in, you know, the weeks and months following that deal that was agreed, agreed to on funding, I sat in committee across the aisle from people who voted in support of the deal back in June and then were sitting in committee with me in budget pretending that that never happened. You, it's surreal, yeah. And I had to bring it up multiple times in the hearing. You all voted for it. <laughs> the majority of people across the aisle for me, you all voted for it. And now you're telling me that that never happened. I mean, it's, it is, it's a test of wills for sure. Right. Um, but I do want to say one other thing, if I could, yep. yeah. um, on this speaker issue, which is I serve on judiciary with a man named Ken Buck. And Ken Buck is someone who um, I respect. We, we disagree on a lot of policy issues, but I have a lot of respect for him. And he is one of the people who has been consistent with the press saying, I cannot support Jim Jordan until he tells me that President Trump lost the election and that President Biden won. And he was saying that even last night. And I really respect that about him. He's saying, how can we elect somebody who is still an election denier. All so right, we, I'm watching we got, him this we, morning. We got a bunch of calls lined up for you, so we got to get to those. Yep. I, yep. I, but you just answered one of my questions. Is there a Republican that you've met that you would support? Uh, or not support. I get it. But you know what I mean. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to ask the congresswoman about her position on the Hamas-Israeli conflict. And also, maybe before that, the position of the Progressive Caucus, of which he is a member and so is Peter Welch, on the same uh, situation with Hamas in Israel. Absolutely. So uh, I would love to start by saying that this was a horrible uh, terrorist attack. It was... um, Something I think that has shaken me to my core because I've, I'm, I've been someone who has always supported a two-state solution. I still do. And I'm very concerned that this attack is going to derail efforts uh, to normalize relations between Israel and, and the other nations in the region. And so if you look through the statements that, that I've made since this horrible attack, um, I signed on to something called the Meeks McCall Resolution, which condemned uh, the terrorist attack in no uncertain terms. I signed on to uh, a letter on October 13th saying, um, absolutely, this was a terrorist attack. There's no um, whataboutism uh, related to what happened to these, these villages in Israel, and also called for 
uh, military operations in Gaza uh, to abide by international humanitarian law. And that also means that Hamas needs to, uh, you know, abide by humanitarian law, which it hasn't done by taking hostages and, and parading hostages uh, in front of the cameras yesterday. But, but Becca, do um, you agree, though, with President, President Biden himself has said on 60 Minutes and other places that he does agree with Israel that Hamas needs to be totally obliterated, wiped out? Yeah, this is, look, this is a the terrorist organization. These are not, this is not an organization that believes in Israel's right to exist. And so I agree with the president that Hamas cannot continue to be um, the, the, the ruling uh, party, as it were, uh, in, in Gaza. And so I also want Vermonters to think about the fact that Israel is smaller than the state of Vermont, yeah. right? And so just to, like, put that in your minds, it's, it's, it's very, um, it, I think when you think about the geography, you understand some of the, the stakes in a different way. And so, um, and then uh, most recently last night, I signed on to a letter uh, condemning the brutal attacks, condemning the hostage taken, and saying that we need an immediate release of the hostages. This is, you know, this is just basic, uh, you know, international humanitarian law. And so um, I know that her question was pretty general. I hope that answers, answers the question. Um, any follow-ups from you, either Anthony or um, uh, Kurt? Well, I want to I want to ask about one more resolution, and that's the one sponsored by the so-called Squad and a few other members as well. Who it's called the Ceasefire Now resolution. Um, uh, Rashida Tlaib and others have sponsored this one, and basically it said they want this that they want Israel to end this now, uh, but they they make no mention. There's a lot of outrage about this because they make no mention of what you just said. The hostages, right. they don't even mention that it yeah. should be predicated on release of all hostages. That's right. And that, that's why I won't, I won't be signing on to that. Um, Israel has the right to defend itself and needs to prioritize rescuing the hostages that have been taken by Hamas. And I fully anticipate that others uh, within the Progressive Caucus, because we're, we're a very big caucus within the, uh, the Democratic Caucus, I, I anticipate there will be some other um, statements in the coming days about this, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that Hamas has never been interested, not just in a two-state pollution, they're not, they're not interested in a two-state solution. They don't believe Israel has a right to exist. Yeah. And so, and they have not held an election since 2006. Okay, so can we please stop acting as if they are uh, a legitimate uh, ruling government there? It's and there's just, something I didn't know. It's been, it's because, you know, that, that's one of the things they say is, well, they're, they're elected. It's been it's since 2006. That was the last election. Clear. Yeah. Hamas has terrorized its own people. Yeah. Right? How is it that they were able to stockpile thousands and thousands of rockets and um, missiles? Because they are, you know, they are depriving their people of basic needs. And I also don't want to uh, neglect to say, I also believe that there needs to be water and food and medical supplies going to the people of Gaza. And this, this situation is very challenging for us in, in Congress to get at the heart of what's actually happening. Like, we sit through classified briefings, briefings at the White House, conversations with victims and, and, and survivors from the terrorist attacks, meeting with colleagues to try to get the, the most recent information. 
And there's so much disinformation and misinformation on, on the Internet right now. And so we get briefings. We are told that the water has been turned back on. And then I turn, you know, or that food is getting through. Then I hear that Egypt isn't allowing, you know, the supplies to go through. Then I hear people saying, no, it's Israel that's not letting the humanitarian aid to get through. It's very frustrating. <clears throat> I know that last night uh, Secretary Blinken was um, meeting with Netanyahu uh, for hours last night, trying to cobble together an agreement on humanitarian aid, and that's very important to me. So I'm hoping in the next few hours we'll have more clarity about that. But, of course, I'm, I'm really concerned about any uh, civilians that would be killed uh, you know, going forward in, in Israel and in Gaza. But this is a terrorist organization. This is not uh, a, a government that is interested in moving towards peace. All right. Well, let's, I mean, uh, Hamas. That is what I'm, I'm talking about, Hamas. Yep. Yeah. No worries. Let's, uh, let's yep. go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. I want to ask about our borders. We closed our borders to COVID to a threat we couldn't see. And this is a threat that we can see now with the invasion of our borders. And it is an invasion. It's an absolute invasion when they're, they're coming through the, over the Constantine wires. They're cutting wires. Uh, and, and our government is just letting them, the people flood in. We can't sustain it in this country anymore. And now there's talk about letting in millions of Palestinians. We can't do this and all the terrorists that are already here that we don't even know about. So I'd like to hear your viewpoint, please. Okay, so let's start Let's start for the end and, and move backwards. So um, I actually haven't heard any conversations happening within government right now, uh, serious conversations about, um, you know, taking in uh, the, the refugees from, from Gaza. So this is still very much in in flux, you know, right now we're just trying to get safe passage for them into, into Egypt. So let's put that aside. That's not actually um, happening right now. In terms of the border, look, we have had failed immigration and, and migration policies for decades. It is, I believe, one of the biggest failings of Congress over the last 30 years that we haven't been able to come to a bipartisan agreement. Yes, as, you know, members of um, you know, members of Congress, we need to do the work, one, to make sure we have an immigration um, system that is working and is not underfunded. Same with all of the migrants, the legal migrants who come to, to work on um, farms here in the United States. And yes, we do have uh, the responsibility to make sure that our, our borders are secure. I agree with you. What I don't agree with is the rhetoric around um, what is happening uh, specifically around something that's impacting us in Vermont, which is the, the fentanyl crisis, which is a real crisis. It's taking the lives of, of Vermonters. It's incredibly painful to me when I uh, hear from parents whose, whose kids have, have succumbed to this, this terrible scourge. What we know is fentanyl in particular <clears throat> is not coming, uh, it is not being carried by um, folks who are illegally uh, emigrating to the United States. It's coming through ports of entry, and we need to make sure that we are funding, fully funding resources at ports of entry to to staunch the flow of fentanyl. And a related issue, uh, Becca, I want to ask you this. There's a debate going yeah. on now from both sides of the political spectrum about do we take in refugees from Palestine 
from the Gaza Strip, and one side says, absolutely, we must do it, it's humanitarian. The other side says, this risk that we get in the wrong people, so many people there could disguise themselves and come over, I mean, yeah. and we would have a real terror problem here in the United States, bigger than we might have. Where do you, where do you come down on that issue? So, so, look, we are so, so far away from this actually happening, and so, yes, Real concerns there, absolutely. And so I got to tell you, though, what I'm focused on when it comes to uh, bringing folks over, we still haven't made right the people who are helping us in Afghanistan and their families. And so I literally got a call this week in the midst of all of this, like, are we going to make good on our commitments to the folks that helped us in Afghanistan and their families, they're still waiting for reunification. So I just, I just don't want to spend time on something that is not an immediate concern. And I'm focused on making sure there's safe passage for Palestinians into Egypt. And I wish Egypt was being more of a, um, a strong partner in this right now. All right. Well, uh, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good. Good morning, Becca. Um, I asked you about this uh, in a previous call. And I recognize that campaigns cost money and that we have an imperfect campaign finance system, but you continue to raise money. I keep getting those solicitations. I'm wondering, is there a dollar amount at which you stop, or, or is it endless where you just have to sort of um, get a war chest that's going to scare away any, any opponents? And I ask this as someone that supports you. So it was it was kind of hard to hear you, but I think I get the gist of the question. Look, right now, what I'm focused on is the work in front of me. And when we get past the uh, the new year, you know, I will make a decision about whether I'm going to run for reelection. In the meantime, I do have uh, expenses to, you know, be a, you know, a viable candidate. And so. There is, you know, in terms of you asking me, is, it, is there a dollar amount? Let's, you know, let's step back and say that campaigns cost a tremendous amount of money. I wish they didn't. They do. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sure that going forward, I will be a viable candidate. If Senator Sanders were to announce that he isn't going to run, not expecting him to say, yes, I'm running. But is that something you would be seriously considering? Well, look, Kurt, I have gotten no indication that Senator Sanders is going to do anything except run again. He's a wonderful uh, representative for us, a senator, excuse me, for us in, uh, in Congress. And he also is the chair of a, a very powerful committee, and he's doing a great job. And so I, um, of course, if there's any, you know, uh, you know decision that he makes um, going forward, that will be some really intense conversations that I need to have. I am so honored to be in the House. That's where I'm doing my work. That's why I ran. And, you know, I, I don't have anything else to say about that. Gotcha. I, gotcha. I, I, gotcha. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. All right. Lastly, yeah. and then, we got, then we'll let you go. Um, do you think that there's any possibility that if Jim Jordan becomes Speaker, there will be members of the Democratic Caucus that regret that it isn't still Kevin McCarthy? <laughs> well, I can't speak for hundreds of members, but uh, well, I, how about yourself? You know, yeah. Look, look. 
it is part, he is part and parcel of the same thing. Like McCarthy was somebody who did not stand up to his extremists. Jim Jordan is an extremist. And so in terms of how it functions in the, in the chamber, I don't know if there'll be a lot of differences, honestly. All right. There we go. Our Congresswoman Becca Ballant, thanks for being on the morning drive. As always, we appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time. There we go. Uh, Congresswoman uh, Becca Ballant. Very nice. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with ABC News. Amanda's got the headlines. We got the forecast. And then we're going to chat with Sean from uh, Able Paint. See how it's going.